Have you ever wondered why exactly it is that things usually sound better at home than they do on stage, in auditions, or even in lessons? It's easy to chalk it up to nerves or assume that you just have to practice more or get more performance experience. And sure, those things certainly are part of the puzzle, but a lot of times that's not really the true root cause. If you've been confused by the inconsistency of your performances, I put together a free four-minute quiz called the Mental Skills Audit, which will help you pinpoint your mental strengths and weaknesses and figure out what exactly to adjust and tweak in your preparation for more consistently optimal performances. You can take the Mental Skills Audit online at bulletproofmusician.com MSA. That's MSA for Mental Skills Audit. And again, it's 100% free, and it'll take just four minutes to get your results emailed to you as a PDF. This is Noah Kageyama, and you're listening to the Bulletproof Musician Podcast. Every Sunday morning, we'll take a look at a new research-based tip or technique to help you practice more effectively or perform better under pressure. And on the first Sunday of every month, I'll have a guest from the music, sport, or research world who will share their insights on how we can all be a little more awesome in the practice room and on stage. I don't know if this is a universal phenomenon or not, but I remember my kids both going through a phase where they tried to avoid explaining things by saying it's complicated. To their credit, some of the things we experience in life really are difficult to articulate in words, despite being clear to us in a nonverbal sort of way. Like a child trying to explain what love is, or what harmony is, or what gravity is. Or defining what it is that makes a great teacher great. Have you ever wondered what exactly renowned teachers do during lessons that helps their students make progress and sound better from week to week? Do they rely on the same key set of strategies? Or is it different from teacher to teacher? What's the secret sauce? Researchers Robert Duke and Amy Simmons were curious to learn more about the pedagogical approaches of individuals who are highly regarded not just as teachers, but as performers as well. So they videotaped three renowned artist teachers as they worked with their students in regular weekly private lessons. Specifically, violinist Donald McGinnis, oboist Richard Kilmer, and pianist Nalita True. Altogether, about 30 hours of lessons were recorded, with participants ranging in age from high school to doctoral-level students. The researchers then analyzed about 8 to 9 hours of video of each teacher, looking specifically for A teaching strategies that all three teachers used, and of these, narrowing in on B, only those strategies that led directly to improvements in the students playing, and which C, were used in almost every lesson, and again by all three teachers. Despite being very different people, teaching very different instruments, it turns out these teachers' pedagogical approaches might fundamentally be more similar than different. The researchers identified 19 key elements that were common to each teacher's approach, which fell into three broad categories, goals and expectations, affecting change, and conveying information. Ready to take a look? So starting with goals and expectations, element number one was, quote, the repertoire assigned students is well within their technical capabilities. No student is struggling with the notes of the piece. Lessons tended to be centered around issues of musical expression and interpretation. So students came to lessons with pieces already in their hands and even with some musical ideas of their own. 
Some students will, of course, need more time and help with technical fundamentals, but this speaks to the kind of work that can be done when repertoire is not too far beyond a student's current capacity. Compare this with how a lesson would look when a student tries to tackle a piece of music that they may love, but it's simply too demanding for them technically to be able to do much with beyond getting the notes out. Element number two, quote, teachers have a clear auditory image of the piece that guides their judgments about the music. Even when teachers haven't come across a particular piece before, they're able to take what they know about the composer, style, etc., and apply what they do know in such a way that the lesson is just as helpful as if they did know the piece. Element number three, quote, the teachers demand a consistent standard of sound quality from their students. This is one of the two elements that seemed to trump everything else. No matter what they were working on at the moment, if the sound quality was anything less than beautiful, everything came to a screeching halt and sound quality became the primary focus until it was raised to the teacher's satisfaction. Element number four. Quote, the teachers select lesson targets that are technically or musically important. Interestingly, teachers didn't stop to work on every single imperfection just the areas that would lead to the most meaningful or impactful improvement. Element number five, quote, lesson targets are positioned at a level of difficulty that is close enough to the student's current skill level that the targets are achievable in the short term and change is audible to the student in the moment. Rather than focusing on areas of the students playing that might still be over their heads, the teachers appeared to focus on adjustments that the student could make in the moment and experience immediate success with. Element number six, quote, the teachers clearly remember students' work in past lessons and frequently draw comparisons between present and past, pointing out both positive and negative differences. Sometimes it's easy for us to focus so much on how much more we have to do that it's easy to forget how far we've come. Sometimes it's nice to get some perspective and a pat on the back from someone whose ears and judgment we trust. Now moving on to the category of affecting change. Element number seven was, quote, pieces are performed from beginning to end. In this sense, the lessons are like performances with instantaneous transitions into performance character. Nearly all playing is judged by high standard as if we are performing. Legendary basketball coach John Wooden once said, if you don't have time to do it right, when will you have time to do it over? Similarly, if we don't make it a habit to practice performing as we would for an audience or jury, the less than fully committed, lackadaisical sort of approach might follow us out on stage as well. Element number eight. Quote, in general, the course of the music directs the lesson. Errors in student performance elicit stops. The students were usually stopped immediately upon making an error. The idea being, I think, to help the student hone their standards and gain a clearer understanding of what beautiful or accurate playing sounds like while the memory of that moment is still fresh in their ears and fingers. Element number nine, quote, the teachers are tenacious in working to accomplish lesson targets, having students repeat target passages until performance is accurate. The teachers carefully selected areas for improvement that were achievable. So even if a student was struggling in the moment to get things sounding just right, the teachers didn't let the students off the hook by sending them home to practice they continued to provide guidance, feedback, and modeled the desirable way to play the passage until the student finally got it right. Number 10, quote, any flaws in fundamental technique are immediately addressed. No performance trials with incorrect technique are allowed to continue. 
This was the other thing that seemed to trump all else. If a student played something with incorrect technique, correcting this flaw became priority number one, and they didn't move on until the mechanics were fixed. Number 11, quote, lessons proceed at an intense, rapid pace. There was a pretty rapid cycling between the teacher's instructions and students' playing attempts. This is compared to a teacher droning on for minutes while the student sits and gets cold and starts to forget what they were doing. Number 12, quote, the pace of the lessons is interrupted from time to time with what seem to be intuitively timed breaks, during which the teachers give an extended demonstration or tell a story. That being said, teachers also seemed to know when it was time to sit back a bit and take a short breather from the intense back and forth of instruction and playing. Plus, it really does seem that occasional breaks in the flow of a lesson or a lecture or a presentation help us stay more engaged. Number 13, quote, the teachers permit students to make interpretive choices in the performance of repertoire, but only among a limited range of options that are circumscribed by the teacher. Students are permitted no choices regarding technique. While there seemed to be appropriate flexibility in the musical aspect of how a phrase was played, the mechanics didn't seem to be up for discussion. And now the third category of conveying information. Number 14. Quote, teachers make very fine discriminations about student performances. These are consistently articulated to the student so that the student learns to make the same discriminations independently. Much of the teacher's feedback seemed to be geared towards honing the student's ears, helping them appreciate more of the subtle nuances and details that the teachers hear so that they could continue to raise their standards and eventually the level of their playing. After all, if they can't hear it, they can't work on it in the week between lessons. Number 15, quote, performance technique is described in terms of the effect that physical motion creates in the sound produced. In other words, it seems like teachers didn't talk about mechanics or technique in isolation, but always address technique as a means to the end of sound production. And number 16, quote, technical feedback is given in terms of creating an interpretive effect. So once again, it seems like mechanics are always directed towards the ultimate end goal of musical expression. Number 17, Quote, negative feedback is clear, pointed, frequent, and directed at very specific aspects of students' performances, especially the musical effects created. In this study, there were more instances of negative feedback than positive, which goes against findings in some other similar studies. However, the feedback was very specific and clear, and seemed to be geared towards helping the students fine-tune their ability to discriminate between good playing and great playing. Number 18, quote, There are infrequent, intermittent, unexpected instances of positive feedback, but these are most often of high magnitude and extended duration. Of course, when the students did something nice and their teacher was genuinely pleased, which happened at least once in almost every lesson, the teachers didn't hold back and were very, quote, emphatic and detailed in the feedback they shared. Number 19, quote, the teachers play examples from the students' repertoire to demonstrate important points the teacher's modeling is exquisite in every respect. As you can imagine, these particular teachers were probably quite inspiring to listen to whenever they demonstrated what they were asking. But I think the bigger idea is that their demonstration, whether played on their instrument or simply sung or gestured, effectively and clearly illustrated the musical essence of what they wanted their student to aim for. The authors admit that it's unclear how generalizable these findings might be to all teachers and students, 
but I would imagine that many of the 19 are pretty universally applicable. If you have some time, it's well worth checking out the complete results section of their paper, which also includes multiple video examples of each teacher illustrating many of the 19 elements described in today's episode. You can find links to the full study at bulletproofmusician.com blog. And if you found this study intriguing, one of the authors, Robert Duke, will be featured in an upcoming podcast episode very soon. He'll share more insights from his research on effective practice and teaching, like how to bake inflection and musical expression into the learning process from day one, and also how he got his band students to yearn for more practice time by doing the opposite of what you might expect a teacher to do. If you found this episode helpful, please do share it with a friend or practice buddy who you think would also enjoy experimenting with it during the coming week. And if you'd like to explore this sort of thing in more depth, whether it be to get more out of your daily practice or to get better at managing performance pressure and shrinking that gap between what you can do in the practice room and what comes out on stage, you can learn more about the live and self-paced courses that are available at bulletproofmusician.com courses.